Welcome back to the Disaster Tough Podcast. I'm your host, John Scardina. I am so excited for this episode. I think it was about three years ago, I had this incredible, incredible firefighter out of New York named Doug Bateson on the podcast. He has been, man, all things collaboration for the city, for fire, for kind of really interagency coordination. His fa- in, in fact, his title now is Citywide Interagency Coordinator. He really focuses on the Manhattan area. There were so many different responses in New York City, as you can imagine, big city, big things happening every year, that the lessons learned, the things that he was addressing, I thought it'd be phenomenal to say, hey, during 2023, you're doing so many different things. Let's have you come back on the show. Let's talk about interagency coordination. We all need to get better at it. This guy is just nailing it on like upper levels, next level kind of stuff. It really helps the fact that because of his tactician background as a firefighter and learning the skill set of emergency management, that strategic coordination piece, he is really able to see in, in really a special way all things from the ground level all the way through the top. And I just have the utmost respect for him and for what he's doing. And I thought, you know what? Again, we need to have him on the show. So without any further ado, Doug, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, John, appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. You know what? You have done so many cool things, and we could talk about this. We we were just talking even before the podcast about doing a series. But just for like 2023, I'm going to highlight a couple things. I'm sure you have a lot more things you want to highlight. I want to talk about the crane disaster that uh, that happened. I want to talk about the, the garage um, collapse. Um, gosh, I think there was a... Um, uh, there was a refugee issue. There's been hospital issues. There's been all kinds of things that happening in the city. And with so much complexity within that city, so many different agencies from the city level all the way through federal, that beast just has to be so much to manage. And so if you could just very quickly, and I, I want to dive into each one of these, but just talk about, because um, it's been like about three years your specific role and maybe like the high level, what you see most important within your role. Sure. Uh, so like you said, I'm a citywide interagency coordinator. Um, one of many, we have a whole unit uh, in our field response and uh, our bureau in uh, New York City Emergency Management. And uh, I am, I'm the lead coordinator for Manhattan, like you said. So that's primarily where I spend most of my time. But yeah, citywide, we see everything you can imagine. A lot of people follow us all over because if it happens, it probably happens here. Uh, you know, my primary role as an interagency coordinator is to support the incident commander with the four resources of New York City. It's put it very, very basically, right? And the way we do that primarily is we show up and we have to look at things from that 10 to 30,000 foot view and see how can I help the incident commander with any of the things that they're not able to do, they're not seeing right now. I'm trying to think ahead, walk I'm looking at the end and trying to trying to reverse engineer this problem and try to help them get ahead of it, you know? So, um, you know, what goes a long way is, and you and I were talking about this, is deploying empathy, right? Come into this where I'm not another body with something to say. My job is to support. So when you come in and you tell whoever's in charge of this chaos and you let them know that someone's legit here to help and I've got options for you, that makes a huge difference. And that's something that I think... Uh, worldwide our field could really do better at um yeah, no. everybody seems to have once they're 30 seconds of fame type of thing and and it's really not about us it's about helping so um you know 
we see, like you said, collapses. We see, we respond to multiple alarm fires. We respond to uh, infrastructure issues and everything is different. There are no routine type of jobs. You know, a gas leak is not a gas leak. A fire is not a fire. We just had a major collapse in the Bronx yesterday. The L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio solves problems and is specifically designed for emergency services. How do we know? We field tested it with medical, urban search and rescue, and collapse and confined structures. This radio is amazingly tough. Check out the L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio at l3harris.com right now. If you served in the military, you've probably worn Proper Apparel. Proper Apparel is now reaching out to first responders and those who love the outdoors. Check out Proper Apparel from the outdoors to the EOC, wear proper. How do you spell Doberman Emergency Management? EOP, OEP, HVA, HMP, Thyra, TTX, Drone, PDA. Whenever you need an expert, Doberman Emergency Management field experts are there for support. Contact an expert at DobermanEMG.com today. Uh, you know, none of these things are really, truly alike. And yeah. You have to approach them differently each time. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's been a real busy year. You know, I mean, in addition to, like you said, the cor- collapses and the, uh, the, the crane, you know, we had a, a shark attack that led to drone monitoring. We had... Which is wild, by the way. You're like, hey, by the way, I'm running these drones, and I'm just going to look for some... Like, you literally had your drone up in the air because you're a 107 pilot for New York, and you were actually flying over the water looking for sure. Yeah, our, our unit has... A, we have a drone unit in, in field response, and we worked with the FDMY robotics unit very closely, and, uh, you know, that team is really good at what they do, and, yeah, we were we were monitoring the uh, the waters because... You know, we couldn't really tell why anything happens. Sharks attack for whatever reason they attack. And mm. we did that for a bit. Uh, e-bikes are a real big thing for us. A lithium-ion batteries. You know, you can't walk anywhere in Manhattan without almost getting run over by a delivery e-bike. Mm. It's, uh, you know, it's nuts. Well, that's the, that's the thing, right? Like, New York City, because you have so many things, like, it is at least in my limited experience with like dealing with big cities, everywhere I go, you can immediately tell people who have been in responses from an emergency management perspective or otherwise, who've actually done the job and people will have it. And like when the, when the e-bikes run into each other, you think like the, the whole world just like blew up, you know, because you know, uh, and you're standing there and I I can, I can see you just like, what are you talking about? Like, let's just, (laughs) In the Let's, grand scheme of things, this is not the biggest thing. Yeah, and it's so important, I, but it's not. Of yeah. course, it's important, but at the same time, you don't lose it, right? And so, yeah. and, and and emergency management, you know, we've the the industry has grown tremendously just in the last. I mean, I've been involved in emergency management for about eighteen years, most of my career, you yeah. know, uh, in one way or another, and the last four and a half years directly for New York City emergency management. So, you know, when you when you find uh, folks who have never really, they've seen an emergency on TV, but they've never responded to one. They've never had an actual job at one, not even just in the first responder realm, but you know, the operations folks in the utility companies who have to go to those scenes and fix a problem. Yeah. Any of that, if you've never experienced that, it's just naturally going to be harder for you to have that basic understanding of what a true emergency really is. And, yeah. um, I find that, you know, it's, it's hard to explain sometimes and, it, and, for me, I've had to learn how to not get immediately like, really, you know, I, I have to deploy that empathy and just and let and understand that they're trying to learn and I want them to be better at what they're doing so that we can support each other. 
And, um, you know, it's, it is tough when you haven't done that to go and coordinate this and work with somebody who has no idea what you're talking about and they've never done it. And the things that they're prioritizing and what you're seeing don't align. Yeah. It's a challenge sometimes. Well, that's the, I mean, that's your job. I mean, going back to the original point of like, uh, like just showing up, even if the person's never done the job before and some, t I see one of two things typically happen and it's always around stress by the way, and really anxiety, but it manifests itself in totally two different ways. One, they just completely break down. It's a uh, chaos. Like they, they can't think it's, it's overwhelming. And to their credit, it's the first time, of course, like that's what's going to happen. And it doesn't need to be the end of the world stuff, but that's just kind of what happens because they don't know what to do. The other thing is um, another manifestation of anxiety sometimes is in incredible arrogance. They don't want to listen to people who've done that because they're afraid that it will expose them for like, you know, uh, I want to say for fraud, but they'll realize like, uh-oh, like... You know, I don't want to take the advice. I want to show that I can do this. But if you just go in there and you're like, hey, I'm not all about that. I'm not trying to take this away from you or I'm not trying to embarrass you. I'm just here to help. There's humility. You have so many things on your plate. And not every idea is about life and death. Some ideas are better or worse. And we can just roll with those punches too, right? Absolutely. Every time. You know, I mean, uh, when, when somebody, you know, is, comes at you humble, Hey, I have, I have no idea what you got going on, but if there's anything I can do, please let me know. And you know what? I've had plenty of times where I'm like, hey, I need you to type up uh, my notes for me because I have to run an interagency meeting in 10 minutes and I'm, I'm the only one here type of thing, you know? And we're fortunate in New York City where our response unit is has a bunch of, of members of service who do just what I do. So we automatically have kind of a very basic level understanding of, of there is no questioning. Hey, I need you to do this. There's no rank. There's no time on the job. You, I got here before you. There's none of that. This is your oh. job. I'm here to help. That's it. End of story. What do you need? You need me to type an email. You need me to make a phone call. You need me to get on the radio. You need me to go uh, corral those 14 people that are siloed over on that corner because they're the key player in this. Whatever it yep. is, that's what that's our that's our job. You remind me perfectly of somebody like. So the the secret sauce here that I'm sharing on the podcast, but don't worry anybody, you're not going to see this anytime soon. I've been like kind of writing a book of like what all like if I had to describe the entire scope of emergency management, I'm up to 14 chapters by the way. Wow. So uh, yeah, I, I'm like tired of like talking about standards without actually like suggesting them. Like I'm fine, I'm going to provide the solution. People can agree with disagree, but if I had to like think of like you and like what you've done for New York City and probably the field overall, um, it's like this perfect combination of innovation and grit. Like you have to have that, like I can step into this disaster and still think, mm -hmm. but you have to be able to think outside the box too, right? That's primarily where I live. You know, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm telling you, you know, you are. Maybe we'll just put your picture on the front of that book. Like this is well known for uh, anybody who knows me real well knows. You know, I'm a, I'm kind of a disruptor. You know, I, yeah. I like to study the rules so that I can bend them as far as they'll go. Yeah. Before they break, you know, uh, to get the job done. And that's not because I just enjoy being a pain in someone's butt. Uh, sometimes, but most times, I I know that you have to be able to find 14 different ways to do this because the first 10 uh, are probably not going to work. You have to have plan A through G at least. Yeah. You know, and um, 
and I, I really enjoy that because it keeps me thinking. And other people will ask me, how did you come to that conclusion? That's that's insane. And I'm like, that's why it's probably going to work. You know, yeah. uh, what, what happens when you start to do that, though, is you you get the folks who are really concerned about optics. And I get it. I get it. Optics. That's you know, I get that from a strategy level all the time, especially when the, those folks who are dealing with the politics. I know you need it to look good, but I need I need it to work and we need to find the medium for that. You know, and when I have someone who's never done it telling me what it needs to look like and I'm telling them we can't do it that way and here's why, uh, but I have a solution and, you know, we're wasting time, you know, we're not solving the problem anymore. We're, we're focused on image and Instagram. We're not worried about, uh, actually helping the people who are impacted by this thing. And I see that happening all over LinkedIn. I watch the articles some folks write and the way they're handling things, and I'm like, we've kind of gone off the rails with helping people and getting the problem solved. We're yeah, the messaging, we're not fixing anything. You know, I I 100 agree. Messaging is so incredibly important. I've talked about it. I mean, I run a podcast, right? But it's like, to what end? Right. Right. If if you're, I call them disaster tourists. People who go in there for like a week and they're be. There was uh, there was one story I'm trying to recall. Basically, I think he was a planning section chief. He had just deployed to a disaster, and I saw him literally on the next day on Facebook, like with like pictures of him on a beach, right? Uh, because the disaster was on an island, and I was like, "What are you doing?" Like he wanted the picture of him on the beach with the dis- destruction in the background. Don't pause. I would that. have been in the EOC for eighteen hours. I wouldn't have known like the what the what time of day it was, right? And I'm not trying to say I was better than that guy or anything, but I am better than that guy. Um, but the reality is it's like, you know, messaging is important because we have to be able to communicate with the public and with stakeholders to get things done. Right. Baiting. You have to do that. Um, but it's, what's more concerning to me is that because of a continual scope creep and because of, again, that optics perspective and getting away from the meaning of optics, it's, um, it's slowing down response. If everybody was more focused on doing the right thing for the right reason, the optics would line up much better. It'd be easier to do the storytelling. It'd be basically automatic. Yeah, it would be automatic, right? People need to understand that not every solution is pretty. You can't put a bow on everything. You just yeah. uh, I talked to um, hard that that's where that's why we're in that direction. You know, not everything is pretty. These are disasters. They're ugly by nature. Yeah, that's why they're called a disaster. And the, you know, the fix is not always going to be pretty, but if it works, and you know what I find is, it's interesting because I've, I, like I said, I, I watch a lot of podcasts and people talking about these things all over the country, and people tend to talk about, um, I, I, you know, we don't want the people to to think this, or we don't want the people, we don't want that, and and, and I, in my experience, the people want the stuff fixed, and they basically understand that it's already ugly. So if all you have to do is X to get it done, please do it. Yeah. You know, well, the, we talk about that's what they want. They want solutions. They don't, they don't care what it looks like on LinkedIn. I need you to talk to this guy. I had him on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. You said you listen to podcasts. Which one is your favorite, by the way? Uh, Disaster Tough. There you go. That was the right answer. Um, that's the only a couple of weeks ago, I had the director of the National Center of Urban Operations on the podcast or think tank based out of New York City. Uh, I think they were all operators. I know he was. 
Right. Um, and they talked about like this, again, this combination of innovation and grit and just getting things done. And um, I, I need to look you guys up. I think, because um, he's asking about EM and I think it'd be a good thing. I think they're having a, some kind of meeting in like April. Okay. And uh, yeah, I'm okay. showing up, so you should show up too, but. Hey, we just want to do a quick pause X to thank our sponsors, L3 Harris, Proper, Paladin Biasella, Impulse, Doberman Emergency Management, and especially all of you who have been donating to our podcast. Thank you for helping us boost the signal. All right, let's jump back in. You're talking about innovation and grit um, and just thinking out the box and bedding the rules, but not breaking them and not knowing what the rules actually are. I think that's all all fit, fantastic information. I have a new sponsor, uh, Acela. Have you heard of Acela before? Yeah, yeah, they do uh, the Paladin uh, mobile morgues and the, um, I think they do, uh, what do they do, custom chassis, I think, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah great company. And they were telling me about a story of working with the VA during COVID. And uh, they're a small company. They're, they do really amazing things, but they're based out of Montana. And the VA calls them up and says, hey, we have this massive problem right now with hospitals and morgues. And we got to figure these these things out right now. And there's not really a great solution for them. And um, you're you're talking about almost overnight starting to run 24 hour ops, building something customized for the VA to to mitigate a huge issue. And you're talking about people who know the rules. To yeah, I think in some places they were still using like wood to um, to store the bodies. Well, decomposing bodies and storing on wood, bad idea. And so they they knew the rules, they knew the metal, they knew you know how to like make things safe, and you know like literally within a week they they started pumping these things out all over the country. That's people with a lot of grit, by the way, oh, and yeah. a lot of innovation during a disaster without, without freaking out. Yeah, they were very proactive in the way they handled it. Absolutely. And so, like, if we're going to be talking about that kind of skill set for emergency managers whether it's people like Chris who's on the podcast or like you or like a Sella or like, you know, um, gosh, I could just name so many people who've been on this podcast even who have that, that somehow that skill set, that mix of innovation and grit. Do you think that is inherent to your personality or do you think you've had to learn that skill or were there incidents that you were like, if I don't do this now, we fail. Is there a mix for you? Like, how does that It's a mix. Um, I think personality has a lot to do with it. You know, ever since I was young, I was never afraid to just try something that didn't make sense to anyone else. Or, um, and honestly, you know, I took a lesson from my mom. My mom always told me, you know, you could be a leader or a follower, you know, and, and I kind of, I ran with it a little bit. And like I said, anyone who knows me real well knows that if everyone's going in one direction, I'm going to go at least 10 to 90 degrees to the other direction just because. Why? Why do we do that? I naturally do that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't like, because, you know, one of, one of my favorite quotes was, uh, you know, if, if everyone in a room is thinking the same, someone's not thinking, you know, and oh, I, don't, I, like, like that. I don't like the hive mind. I don't like groupthink. You know, yeah. I've never wanted to be uh, one of the crowd. That yeah. doesn't mean I want to be somebody who's standing out because I, I really don't. Yes, I know exactly what, what I, you mean. What I found is that fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, by doing that, I've tended to stand out anyway, you know? Yeah. So I become this different way of thinking and people have come to me with questions and, and my opinion on things that I would have never expected anyone to look at me for. 
but it's because I have a, a, a different perspective. I'm not afraid to say what I think. Yeah. And anyone who knows me knows that well. Um, fairly colorful in my language sometimes about it, depending on how passionate I am about that particular topic. Yeah. And, uh, and honestly, you know, to my knowledge, that's become an attractive thing to the point where I was almost like, I should stop doing this because too many people are reaching out to me now. <laughs> you know? But at the same time, I want to help. And that guides me to, that's what keeps me going is that I do enjoy helping people. And um, even when things don't make sense or they're irritating me, I, you know, I'm still going to go in my direction no matter what anybody says, mm. uh, you know, but uh, I think it's it's a combination of both. And my skills have developed by my experiences, you know, I mean, I, yeah. I, I was uh, a 911 dispatcher before I got on the job, you know, I was, I was in the military, I was, uh, you know, I was, I've been an EMT uh, before I got on the job, I've been a firefighter, a disaster response, and now emergency management, drone pilot, all those Good. things. And then meeting all the people within those realms. And obviously, I, anyone who knows me knows I talk a lot and I can talk paint off the wall. So just that's how you learn, you know? And yeah. I've taken all that and I absorb it and I just try to grab the tidbits. And, and, it, and it serves me well in the field because I can recognize when someone's struggling a little bit to figure out how to solve a problem. And, and like I said, deploy empathy, show me that you care and you're here to help and talk it through, you know? Problem solving is the ability to. Uh, well, actually, when I, before I actually make that statement, I want to do a, a, a quick just reminder for some people who may be listening, thinking like, oh, I always think outside the box, but I always, you know, piss people, everybody off. There is a difference between uh, being able to think outside the box and be able to articulate that in a different way and be able to understand where it's going versus not learning the rules, not understanding how things work, just wanting to be combative and just wanting to be different for the sake of being different. Yeah. I mean, I you literally start off by saying, I want to know all the rules in order to see where I can bend them. And I'm the exact same way. I don't want to get into a situation where um, I've had to learn to be more patient, to sit back and figure out why people are coming up with the reasons why they're coming to those conclusions yeah. and starting to understand like, oh, they're pulling from this. Sometimes the rules are BS, by the way. But they're pulling from this thought or they're pulling from that thought or they're pulling from this, you know, this perspective or, you know, that book. And if I can if I can figure out all their points of where they connected it, now I can I feel confident to the point where I can say, okay, like A, B, and C were very important. D E F sucked. You don't need to worry about D E F. You're wasting your time. Right? The the exact point of messaging is important. But you can actually do better optics if you just focus on doing what's right instead of overthinking the angle of that Instagram post, right? By the way, our Instagram is phenomenal, so people should follow our Instagram. But, uh, yeah, but yeah, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Like, how does somebody who's listening right now, it's like, okay, I feel like I'm a problem solver. I feel like I think outside the box, like they're speaking my language, but I can never get people to come to me to do that problem solving and even worse, uh, senior leadership actively avoids my ideas. How do you? Well, one, of, one of the things I've I've found that I I enjoy doing is leading people to their own conclusions and helping them think it's their idea. You yeah. know, as a lot of times, like you said, you you have to know your audience, right? So, for us in 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 my unit, 
that includes knowing the people you're dealing with, because we deal with some of the same people all the time and we know their personalities and how they're going to get to the conclusions they're going to get to. And we have to kind of figure out how to work around that and help them get out of their own way sometimes. But also we have to know what their agencies are capable of and what they will and won't do historically and how to get them to make that decision and what kind of pressure we have to apply. Do I I have to push this up to my direct boss, up to the commissioner of of New York City Emergency Management, up to the mayor, and then come back down that direction? Mm. That's kind of the nuclear option, but it's an option. Like, which way am I going to have to go to get this? And I don't ever want to have to go past the person I'm talking to. Yeah. So that's where, like I said, that empathy thing comes into play. Like, you know, uh, I know where we need to go because I've done this for a while and, and I I have the experience. Maybe this person doesn't. Maybe, like you said, maybe they're just naturally combative. But they're the person I have to deal with. And they, they're the gatekeeper of, they have the, they have the solution. Yeah. And now I have to get them to do it, you know? Um, but it's just, uh, understanding all of that is, is so key. And, um, I, I don't know how people develop that skill set without, uh, just getting in there and figuring it out. Unfortunately, yeah. Uh, like we said his personality, I think has a lot to do if you're outgoing, it's a lot easier. I think yeah. the introverts in the crowd, um, I've, I've seen a lot of the introverts, um, we have plenty of introverts in my unit. Don't get me wrong. They'd rather not be in the spotlight. They don't really want anyone looking at them. They want to just um, kind of do the job and go home, you know, just yeah. nothing else. And I'm very similar. I want to do the job and go home too, but I want to make sure that um, I don't have to go back again as well. And sometimes that involves getting out of your comfort zone and being being that person in the spotlight for a minute and uh, and then getting out. And maybe it doesn't come back then, you know. Yeah. But it's it's really hard to to put a. a I, I I've been asked before to try and describe how to think that way, that outside the box. How do you come up with that plan A through G? And you know, I reverse engineer everything uh, in my life. You know, uh, I'm a classic overthinker uh, when it comes to just about everything. Um, that probably helps, you know. Mm. And I just think it's it's life experiences and and just a shift in perspective a lot of times. Yeah. You know, in the way you're looking at this thing. And, you know, why are you thinking the way you're thinking? You know, if you're struggling, I, I'm a big fan of uh, there's a jerk in every room. If you can't find them, it's probably you, <laughs> you know, and, and I'm in danger of that all the time. <laughs> being able to admit to yourself that maybe I maybe I don't know exactly what I'm doing. How bad do I want to do this? Yeah. You know, um, one of my one of my personal struggles in this realm at this point in my career is that I've been to. A fair amount of fairly large scale events between all my experiences, um, and I'm a you know we, we we use the term disaster junkie a lot, right? Yeah, um, junkie like in our realm in the emergency services and the, even the medical field and just you you you're just addicted to that craziness. Yeah, and what I found is that uh, on you know for me personally, one of my struggles in the city is that if it's not a crane collapse or all that, I don't care less. Uh, if it's not, but I, I, I find it harder to, to manage, which is, it makes no sense. Oh, it didn't at first until I really started talking to more people because I, I, I need a plate on every finger. I'm in my Zen when I've got a plate on every finger. Yeah. And uh, like that crane collapse on 10th Avenue was absolute insanity. And I'm perfectly calm, you know, where I'm looking at a, you know, maybe a second alarm fire in a vacant building and um, I'm just not looking at it the same. I'm handling it. I'm doing what yeah. we got to do. I'm getting it done. 
but I'm not as excited about it. And 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 somebody told me, and I said, that's perfectly normal. You know, like you, when you've seen enough stuff, that's just what we do. You know, we're we're in the disaster business. You know, if there's no disasters, it's you know, what are you doing? You know, it is weird though. I I think I was talking to Chris about this a little bit, and if you put me into like a major problem. You can call it disaster. Now in business, I I deal with those fairly frequently now. Some big thing blows up. The whole world is like plates spin on every finger kind of thing. I'm as cold as ice. I can operate forever under that environment and I'm totally fine. Yeah. And I can think very clearly. And uh, like people are like, why are you so calm? Like I, I can deal with that. But like if I am, I don't know, working on my truck, and a bolt doesn't come off or something, I lose it. I get so angry. I'm the same. And what, we're all like, let's just tell the car. Yeah, I'm like, I'm just, I'm just gonna like blow up this vehicle now. Yeah. Or like, I'll go to the grocery store and they don't have the thing I want. Like, like internally, I'm, I'm, I, externally, You're I'm fine. Punch a wall because the broccoli's not on sale. Yes, exactly. Like, <laughs> oh, I was supposed to get this broccoli. Yeah. No, yeah. I can't figure out why. I mean, maybe you have the secret sauce. And I do want to talk about the disasters because I think people are like tuning in for that. But like, I, I can't figure out why I can deal with the big stuff or just like even complicated, just complicated. Oh, I'm sure there's a whole psychology about it that, you know, we, we, we could talk for days about with professionals who understand this stuff. Yeah, they're like, you need some help. You're like, probably, oh, right. Probably, yeah, right. Uh, yeah, well, probably. You know what? Um, I'm actually going to say this because I think I'm, I've brought it up once or twice before. Um, before I was really nervous to tell people, but, uh, I have seen a therapist and I did talk about PTSD and there was some other stuff too, like, uh, you know, from just life right. that I wanted to deal with. And I've had like the Pulse nightclub, um, incident commander, he was on here talking about AMDR and, um, therapy and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, sometimes it's not a bad idea to like go to somebody and be like, oh yeah, I studied this. There's a million people with the exact same problem. Here's the tool to deal with that. You're like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Right. You're like, no, it's not. You we avoid it so long and we, because in our heads, we build it up to be something it's completely not. But it's really, you know, it's, it's kind of similar to, uh, I need to clean my desk. It's, it's driving me nuts. And you spend three, four, five, seven months not cleaning your desk. You clean your desk, you feel good. It took 10 minutes. Yeah. Why? But Why is that? Now, this is literally how to logically something, your mental health, something that's physically and mentally affecting you and your ability to just live normally. And we just, uh, yeah, nope, uh, maybe something will fall down. I would do that. <laughs> you know? It's also, I don't know if it's like You're a boring all... thing. I had to change a light for like literally, literally like, I think it was multiple years in my house. There was one light bulb and I was just like, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Literally took me less than five minutes to just like grab the ladder, reach yeah. up there. It's longer to get the ladder and put it away than it did to fix the problem. Yes, exactly right. Yeah. It's embarrassing. Yeah, um, yeah. And yet, I don't know. Um, the emergency management skill sets that I learned in disaster responses and really just leadership and coordination has made me phenomenal in business. Like when people call like a client and there's some big problem, my staff who are newer to this. Sometimes it's kind of a big deal. And I'm like, no, we're still going to do it. Like, it's it's fine. Like, just, you know, put your head in the game. And I think that comes from maybe a personality type, but I also think it comes from, like, um, the more time you can spend in the mud, the better. And, yeah, 
I don't even know if it's that. I think it's just learning. I mean, experience builds it, right? You know? Yeah. But some people, that's some people said, need caffeine. I just need stress, I guess. Yeah, it's one of the things I struggle with is is looking at that person like, why are you freaking out? And I have to keep telling myself, don't do that, you know. But I've gotten better at it. It used to be it was really hard for me at first, especially when I got to uh, emergency manager in New York City because I had never really dealt with the number of civilians that I do now. So it's taken me some time and a lot of effort. Um, yeah. I've gotten a lot of reward out of that because, you know, it's hard to work with people who are combative, right? We talked about that. So if, you know, if I'm in the field and I need resources that I don't have, there's somebody on the other end of a phone or an email uh, or a meeting that has them or has the key to them. And if I'm being a jerk to them because I think they're unworthy or they don't know what they're talking about, whatever, that's not helpful. Sayonara. What yeah. being a bad human. Just you're being a jerk. Uh, don't do that, you know. Uh, but for the job, you're getting nothing done. You're no better than the person in the field who's gatekeeping the answer because they feel like it. You know, that's not what we do for a living. That's not what we do. Speaking of doing things for a living, we got to talk about some of these cool disasters that we brought up yeah. in the beginning. Because you have done a lot of things right. And, it's, and honestly, it's really impressive. Let's talk about the crane. For those who don't know what happened in New York, I mean, we talked about it a little bit. Can you walk through the actual incident and your role within that incident? Sure. Uh, so we had a, a tower crane on 10th Avenue, uh, you know, had a, uh, some mechanical issues and the jib or the boom, uh, you know, ended up falling to the ground and the crane uh, itself, the motor area was on fire, you know, multiple, multiple stories in the air. So the, the crane's boom on its way down, hit the building across the street, you know, uh, did some damage there, landed in the street. So now, you know, 10th Avenue in Manhattan is a, is a major thoroughfare in, you know, for the city. Thankfully, this happened very early uh, before everyone was on the street, before traffic was really built up. Um, so, you know, we, we didn't have what could have been, I mean, it could have been a lot, lot worse. But now, you know, we've got the fire department has to fight this fire up in the air. Uh, while trying to stay out of the collapse zone, uh, while trying to, you know, evacuate surrounding buildings. We've got NYPD has to do what they do, establishing security in a perimeter and, and starting to get a handle on that. Uh, we've got pretty much every agency you can imagine is now responding to this thing because it's, it's a big deal, right? So now I'm on duty that day and, uh, you know, I'm responding. I'm coming up the West Side Highway and I can see the smoke coming from you know, the top of a high rise from a distance. And it's just, okay, you know, this is what we got. And I'm listening to the fire radio and it's, it's absolute insanity, the number of units and everything coming in. And, uh, you know, I get there and I see this jib of the, you know, the crane parts on the ground leaning against the building. Uh, there's fire, fire departments everywhere. Now they're operating from the building across the street, trying to put the fire out. Uh, Department of Buildings is showing up. Now they're going to have to assess the buildings um, you know, and then, you know, we're, we're starting, we're just working the job. Uh, there's, there's no real, for me, there's no, I'm, I'm sizing up the scene at this point, just like any of us would do. Like who's, who's here, what's going on? Where's everybody at in their operations? Who's not here that needs to be, are they notified? Are they on their way? Uh, if not, can we get them all that? Mm-hmm. Uh, the press, the mayor, all the commissioners are showing up. So it's just absolute mayhem, right? Uh, and now I'm I'm the coordinator f- for the scene. So my job is to go check in with the fire department first. Hey, chief, OEM, what do you got? And 
here's what we're, here's what we're up to. Here's what we got. Uh, can you do this, this, and this? Got it. Uh, I go find that person. Boom, boom, boom. At first, you know, I'm I'm still trying to figure out how big I need to make this job as well. So if I'm very comfortable with not having to pull additional resources for us right away because you know I'm 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 going to build the scene before I before I start to call everybody in. Yeah, I love that. I do like getting as big as you can, as fast as you can in certain situations, but I think that needs to be used with discretion and you have to use discipline. You have to be strategic in that for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, you know, so we're working this job. Uh, you know, I'm starting to get it. questions like, how many buildings are evacuated? What are the addresses? How many people are evacuated? And my answer is, I don't know. And I can't tell you right now because the fire department can't tell me because they've got so much going on that I need to let them get their battle rhythm going and figure out all this stuff. So basically, I'm giving a perimeter. I talked to NYPD. I said, hey, what do you have closed currently? I got that info. Fire department. Where are you operating outside of the uh, putting the fire out? What else you guys got going? Okay, boom. We're, we're evacuating this building right now. We're going to work this block. Okay, so now I can give kind of a very high level overview of of the scene. Yeah. You know? And then uh, I'm starting to plan my first interagency meeting. When am I going to do this? And it's chaos. So that's you have to be very careful of when you do that because you want everybody to be able to report out. You don't want to be in the way. Yeah, uh, especially when it's like this, you gotta let the you gotta let the job start to run a little bit. How long did you was it before you did your first meeting? From uh, the time, roughly, it was almost two hours. Two hours, yeah. That's yeah, because you know, uh, if you've ever driven in Manhattan, getting to the scene in that section of town, especially when you have that size incident going on, it takes time, and it's just that's just what it is. You know, it can't just helicopter in; it just doesn't work that way. So. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, t- it takes a little while to get handle on it. And then we had the first quick meeting. Uh, we briefed out. We made sure everybody that we needed was there. And, you know, uh, then we start to smell gas at the scene. Very little whiffs here and there. And, and multiple people start coming on to me saying, hey, do you smell gas? Do you smell gas? And we're like, okay, uh, where's, you know, the utility? So we'll we make sure they're there. Hey, yeah, we're aware of it. We're, we're checking it out right now. We'll let you know. That kind of stuff. And then, uh, you know, oh, hey, the ele- is electric here? Yeah, yeah, they're here. They're 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 operating uh, over there, and and they've got some things going on. So they report out at the meeting that they need to fix some things that involve kind of going through the collapse zone, and uh, and and now now it starts to you know the injects basically start coming. Uh, yeah. Our bomb is still operating. There's a massive collapse potential because you know we need the cranes unit of the buildings department to come and check this crane out. So nobody's we're keeping everybody out of the collapse zone. The collapse zone's huge because this crane is tall. Right, yeah. so it could go in any direction. So you know, just all those things. Your first meeting, and and what I usually do in these incidents is I have my my first initial one to three meetings tend to be a little closer together within two hours of each other, because the job is changing so fast, and you need to keep up with what's going on. And then as it gets stabilized, I spread them out because you want people to be able to do their job. So yeah. if you're having a meeting every hour. You got to pull it, pull the bosses in. You got to pull the operators in. You got to pull everybody in, and they have to stop what they're doing. And uh, it's, you have to have that awareness of how to do that. But um, it was insane. You know, uh, we had like a lot of moving parts. Uh, you know, the the building uh, was under construction, so we have the construction company. We have the building that got hit. We have their building uh, ownership there, and you know that building evacuated. Where are all these people going? Thankfully, it wasn't. It was a, n- a nice day, and it wasn't you know, 30, 30 degrees and, and snowing type of deal. Yeah. 
you know, because that adds another layer of complexity. How we, we have to do a reception center, we have to open up, we have to get Red Cross and all this stuff, you know? So, um, it, you know, that, that particular job was, I mean, I, I hate when bad things happen like that, but I love those types of jobs because that's yep. something that really gets my brain fired up. And, um, you know, I'm on the phone with our leadership briefing them. Uh, a couple of members of my unit came to back me up. Hey, what do you need? Like I said earlier. And um, it's just, hey, can you please go talk to the utility about X? Got it. Boom, gone. Off they go. And and we're trying to, like I said earlier, we're the conductors of this chaos orchestra. You know, we're, that's our job is to just kind of make sure all the silos are are coming together because, and there were a lot of them. You know, we had a lot of agencies and, and individuals and private uh, owners and just all of it. Now we have, you know, the Port Authority bus terminal was right there. There, the way they get in and out of their uh, area was right there and was now closed off. So now we have their leadership and the police departments from their leadership, and we're all working together to coordinate rerouting traffic. And it's just, you know, played on every finger. So, so sounds pretty simple. Uh, Sounds like Uh, did he make it? Was in three days. Thank you. Uh, Yeah. Hey, uh, I'm thinking off the cuff here, but you know what TRL Insider is, right? Sure. The thing we're pushing? Yep. One of the reasons why we started was TTX is like really to help get people to like start thinking like that. Mm-hmm. I would love to be able to talk to you offline about like getting the AAR, whatever's public, whatever, and building like another, like a TTX around a, a crane collapse. Because sure. that's like, that's unique in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. And yet you just walk through all the different groups that were be involved with that. And there's complexity with every single one of them and trying to get them all on board. They have, the, they have their own needs and we need them to work together in lockstep to be able to do it, you know, making sure everybody's safe. Yeah. Because well, at the end of the day, that's that's the primary goal, right, is to solve the problem, but we need everybody to go home. That's exactly right. The We keep that in mind uh, primarily. Zach had a TTX in November about a tornado and um, we had debated what December was going to be about. And I actually did that, did another tornado from a funny enough PIO perspective of tornado mm-hmm. um, because I have the understanding of December, warm days in December creates tornadoes in the Midwest. And we uploaded it and like literally we just had tornado outbreaks in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Like the one thing I don't want to do is like all summer next year is just to do like hurricane after hurricane after hurricane while those are important i think people get i, I want to do like outside the box like ttx's and yeah no uh, i love that idea yeah i think you'd be kind of perfect well I, I also i also think you know we we could what we do in the fire department a lot is you know we call it back to basics you mm. know you know over time in your career and whatever you're doing you all these technology comes in and all these fancy ways of doing things and 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 it's very common to just kind of forget the basics of like for us it would be how to how to force a door open you yeah. know that basic halligan tool of how to all the different ways to use that tool how to open that binder how to, it, yeah how to read that iap uh but whatever it is yeah. you know i think we we get into the weeds and we forget about it where i think there's a basic skill set that we can develop where it doesn't necessarily matter the the hazard there's a very base level way to to approach it and then you adjust accordingly based on you know the different parameters you're giving at that scene there is um there is a book i read about um the spurs san antonio spurs 
okay. who won the NBA championship. And they didn't really have like any, I mean, they had Tim Duncan, that's great, but they didn't really have like kind of like that knockout, whatever, but they kept on beating everybody. Okay. And um, the coach was like, all of our drills are like how to dribble a basketball, like making sure your elbows, right? Like it was like so incredibly basic. They were hosing people. Like if you look at like how they played that season and one season in particular, they didn't do anything special. They they passed it three times before they shot it. Like it was like all like really, really basic stuff. They were just so phenomenal at the basics. Like all the other special things didn't really matter. Right. Um, the same thing can be true with, yeah, I was seeing about something else. Let's going back to the basics. Oh, Steve Johnson uh, leads counter uh, Seaburn for the British Army. Okay. He's been on here. And when he was at Die Pop with us, we were talking about the integration of technologies. And I'm a big fan of technologies. I think technology can enhance our job in so many different ways and automate, whatever. At the same time, he was talking about, because he's worked a lot between the U.S. and um, in England, and in the, the military perspective in the U.S. is if there's a new technology, you train to the technology. In the U.K., they still teach them how to do it without the technology first. And once they master it, then they introduce the technology and shows them how the technology enhances their job. Right. And well, it's like us for thermal imaging, you know, it's just a tool. You still got to be able to search with your eyes closed, you know, basically not being able to see. You have to have that basic ability. Yeah, exactly. And so that's exactly what you're saying. Like, how do we like get back to the basics? Getting back to the basics for emergency management is realize emergency management is for emergencies. Right. And everything we're trying to do is to stop the emergency, responding to the emergency and overcoming the emergency when it happens. And it's really that basic. And I don't know why we've added, you know, the the billion layers to it, but they're basic concepts that can have a uh, dramatic impact around the complexity of the incident itself. Right. Yeah, because you could plan all day, you know. I mean, you and I go back and forth. Uh, I love planning. Yeah, you're an operator. <laughs> planning and ops, you know. And, uh, you know, it's it's funny because, you know, I, I'm one of those people like, I like the IAP. I get the IAP. If it's, uh, you know, more than six pages, I'm probably not going to read it, though. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've been to incidents around the country with, you know, book-sized IAPs, and I, I need, like, four pages of it uh, type of stuff. So, you know, I, I think there's – and it and it's it's a constant thing we're always going to have back and forth, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think the AAR piece, uh, what's the one thing everyone says about AARs that's always in there? Communications. Why is that? You're, yeah, literally. Why is that? For a living as an interagency coordinator, it's you know, uh, I was I recently uh, was uh, helping you know with a, a delegation that came from El Salvador that was kind of getting a whirlwind tour of the city of, of you know NYPD's abilities, FDNY, and just kind of they were seeing the EOCs at, at NYSEM and and uh, Fire Department Operations Center and all this stuff. Now in El Salvador, they don't have those resources, right? And they were, you know, asking me, like, how do you coordinate this and this? And they're looking at these multi-millions of dollars worth of stuff. And I, I had a chance to talk with the group. And these are, you know, some chiefs and, and, and their, you know, their, their version of FEMA, a rep from there. And I said, uh, I said, and I'm standing in front of them. And I said, everything I need to coordinate just about any incident is on my person right now. And they're looking at me and I'm in my uh, emergency management uniform. And they're like, what do you got? So I pull out my cell phone. I pull out a portable radio out of my cargo pocket. I said, between those and my mouth, walking, I said, I said I could go with you to El Salvador. If you translate for me, there's really very little I can, can't can help you coordinate. Just the ability to communicate 
with these tools. You give me a radio that works for you, and we we can work this out. I said, why why is it that we're struggling with communication like this? And it's because I think it's because we silo naturally right. in our in our realm. Everybody's got their focus, and that's what they're doing. And 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 that you got you got to scale back and and kind of get up there and kind of look at the whole picture, and just be a, hey, uh, John, what do you need? We had a chat. What do you need? Yeah, we talk. We love talking about. Oh, we should be exchanging business cards before the job. Okay, what are you doing with that? Is that are we just doing a meet and greet? Yeah, we're well, actually learning about the agency and the person and their needs and, and the kinds of things they need at different types of incidents, because that's where the communication comes in. Can I just say that it's you know? so unrealistic to think you could possibly meet every single person that you need to interact with, right. and if somehow you didn't that you can't work together, how bad are you at your job where you can't meet somebody new in a disaster? Don't, don't get me wrong. You got to learn other people's job. You got to meet people. I'm right. a big fan of networking. That's like how the world goes around. Well, the majority of the time, time, you're probably not going to know them. You're probably not going to know them. And when they show up, you're going to work together. Agencies and there's all sorts of other variables. And I mean, even after four years, I know there are plenty of folks in the different agencies we deal with and in, in the utilities and all that, that I know on a first name basis and we have a good rapport. But there are more often, even after four years, I I don't know the person, but it's how you approach it. You come in, it's like we're we're here, we're a team, we're gonna solve this. And if everybody's on that page, it doesn't matter if you knew each other or went for drinks uh, at the last conference. It doesn't. It really doesn't matter. So the 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 two or three problems here is one, the reason why we have to ex- ex- exchange business cards so much, even with the EEM is because without the standards of EM, you don't really know what you're going to get when somebody shows up. If I call a fire unit, some kind of firefighter truck, whatever, some specific asset, I know what it's going to, the capabilities are when it shows up. Same thing with law enforcement, same thing. If I ask for an ambulance, I know what an ambulance looks like. If I ask for an emergency manager show up, it could be anything. And that goes vice versa, them to us as well. So that's the first problem that we have to overcome. The second problem is if I'm in charge and I see an AR with communications on it, at this point, it's so embarrassing that somebody should get fired. <laughs> like, it is the job. Like, it's what we do, quite literally. Quite literally. Like, everything you do, you're interacting with somebody. And if you can't do that, you well, got to. Our job is to make that happen, not just for us to communicate, but also to make sure that the involved parties are actually communicating. You know, I'm not uh, I'm not a decision maker. I'm I'm not uh, an enforcement uh, agent. My yeah. job is to make sure that if the fire department's operating and the building department is there, that they're talking. And and you know, for us, very fortunately, that that's most of our agencies. We we everybody gets it. I, I have I have to come in just make sure it's kind of going the way it's supposed to go. But if they're not, you know, if they're not communicating, or you know, I see everybody kind of standing on different corners. Hey everybody, can we can we get a quick interagency meeting going together? Is just let's talk some things through. Let's see where we're at. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. And you come over, and a lot of times it's you know people are surprised how often one agency had no idea that they couldn't do what they wanted to do because something else was going on, and it was dangerous. They were just going to wander in like whatever. I'm just going to go do what I do, and it's because we bring them together and force them to communicate, so to speak. That and I'm not doing all I'm doing is like hey fire department. Where are you at? What do you got? Okay, hey, does anyone have any questions for the fire department? Any concerns? That kind of thing. And I go around the 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 room, and I always start with whoever 
kind of owns the job. Sometimes it's fire, sometimes it's PD, sometimes it's buildings, sometimes it's a water main. So it's the, you know, the water utility, but you just, you, that's how you do it. And that's the communication. And and then you, you link everyone together you make sure they're exchanging business cards. And sometimes at the scene, that's the only place you're going to do it. And we make sure some, you know, some, we've gotten people to start making a list of names and addresses and emails because we might need the con the general contractor who's in charge of the construction of that building that caused the collapse. We're going to need to talk to them again. We I just realized, I just realized you're the Santa of, uh, of emergency management. You're checking the names, checking them twice. Yeah. yeah. Not in nice, followed up. Yeah. 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 Who are you giving cold to this year? That's the real question. Um, you know, the, the reality, and just like to summarize this because we've been talking enough for a little while, and I want you to come back on because we only talked about one disaster, but it was enough. Like, but the reality is just like, we need, and I keep saying this on every podcast, so it gets probably so old for people, we need to get better. And we can, We there's enough data points. I challenge every single person who's listening to this podcast for several thousand of you, if you're involved with ARs in 2024, do not use the word communications in there anywhere. Find the root causes of all the other problems and actually it's give. Too broad. Yeah, it's too broad. It doesn't mean anything anymore. It's uh, you're talking about hard assets. Are you talking about people it's talking? It's become a joke, really. It's, everybody uses it as a joke. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. will be in there. Yeah. Just don't use it. See what happens. Yeah. Fancy. Oh, no, because we keep joking about the thing that's a problem and not addressing it. Uh, that and continuous scope creep. The, the amount of people who come onto this podcast or talk to me offline come up to me at conferences. I've now have people come up to me at every conference. And I'm very grateful for that, by the way. And it shows that the guests that, you know, matter to them, they, they tell me that, but, uh, it's like continuous scope creep. It's exhausting. Mm -hmm. But what everything you shared on here, I mean, you're a firefighter by trade, but you're also an emergency manager. You've learned this skill set of, you know, uh, grit and, um, um, innovation and yet applying that to interagency coordination, thinking outside the box. What you're talking about technically isn't rocket science, but it's a whole lot of finesse. It's a whole lot of just be able to read the room and read the situation and be able to think. And we all intelligence. There's you know, which experience. I have none, which is a problem. But like the reality is like um, what we're talking about here matters and. Um, I know I complimented you at the beginning and kind of in the middle, I'm going to do it again because it's, I'm very serious and sincere in that. Like, uh, we could, we need to get better at doing what you do very well. And I want you to come back on this show. Maybe we can do like this thing next year of like the 10 tips of interagency coordination. Yeah. And just like rapid fire it. If you're willing to come back on maybe. Something oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to. And you know, it's, it's something that, you know, you and I were talking about offline about, um, you know, it's there's there is a skill set that I have there that I've I recognized is uh, I wouldn't call it uncommon, but maybe not as common as we'd like it to be. And uh, I do like helping people, and and you know, I'm not searching fire buildings anymore. And I have to I have to evolve myself. And and I think the natural next step for me is to, like you're saying, kind of just take that skill set and figure out a way to pass it along, and maybe that'll help in some small way. I think it's going to help in a big way. If, if anything else, if I don't have to see communications on any other AAR ever again, That'd be pretty you good. made your mark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Hey, uh, Doug, thanks so much for coming back on the podcast. Thank you, John. I appreciate it, man. Always good to see you. Yeah, of course. Okay. So everyone, if you listen to this episode, if you got something out of it, you, which you should have, 
Uh, you definitely need to get better at interagency coordination. Listen to this podcast again. Take some notes. Figure out how Doug is doing it. He's going to share 10 tips. I just challenged him to do that. Come, come back on the spring, so we'll definitely get that done. Try to, try to figure out what your 10 things are. See if they are the same when Doug comes back on the show. When you come out to disasters, how are you doing that interagency coordination? How are you working with people? Those things are so important for our field. You can save and sustain lives by being a major to su support around the people around you. A little bit of humility will go a long way. And with that, if you like this episode, you got to give us that five-star rating and subscribe. That's how we know you liked it. If you have questions, if things are just really getting to you and you just got to figure this out, do ask us on social media. That would be the right place to do that. Open up those lines of communication. Gosh, I'm going to stop using that word myself. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you for the next episode. Peace.